I'm Jess. And I'm Jen. We're just two run-of-the-mill casting directors looking to have a little fun while tearing down the curtain on casting, the process, and how the sausage gets made. So many misconceptions have come from outside sources, so we're here to clear the air and make sure everyone gets a full picture of all that goes into casting your favorite TV shows and films. All the while, we'll be drinking some amazing cocktails and spilling the tea on some of the most outrageous stories we've come across in our careers. Maybe we'll even bring on a few exciting guests along the way. Cheers! Cheers. morning good evening thank you for joining us again today i can't believe it we're more than halfway through january it's going by so quickly also today is 37 episodes into our podcasting journey which is pretty crazy i know actually uh, as i was editing our last episode listening to our series intro we said that we would share how the sausage gets made how we cast film and television even though we've made it through so many episodes <laughs> i don't think we've actually done that yet yeah 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 so today let's let's talk about the casting process okay okay Okay, before we dive in, we got to talk about what we're drinking and how our weeks have been. What are you drinking today? Because you're you're on your home stretch of staying with your parents. Well, not with my parents, but at their home while they're gallivanting around the world, basically. So today I uh, made myself a little bit of a screwdriver, Ooh. a little bit of vodka and orange juice. So Very that's nice. my first time really doing it here. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, ever? <laughs> Um, and crazy enough, I am on the vodka train. I have a vodka cranberry, but Ooh. it came in a can. So I got extra. <laughs> I just put it in a fancy glass. But I've noticed that the, the UK is big on like in grocery stores and stuff. You can just buy pre-made drinks. So I keep trying a bunch to see what I like and what I don't like. Because I think I did once. It didn't make it onto the podcast because it was so disgusting, but it was a Negroni in a can and it was so bad. It was like made me want to puke. But um, so those oh, must no. be made. You did an espresso martini mm-hmm. too, right? Yeah. Like that one was a winner. had a really good espresso martini. I don't have one near me right now. So next time I'm in town, I'm going to have to pick some up. Yes, it's quite good. Mm-hmm. A little heavy on the cranberry. Good. But yeah. A winner. Yeah. Yeah. How's your week been? Um, it's been very busy on the parent side of things. I have five more, sl- nope, four more sleeps until they're here, Yay! which I'm very excited about. Yes, of course, excited to see my parents again in the flesh, but also just excited to not be a prisoner anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> you get to go home, go back to my life. We'll yes. Sleep in your bed. My dogs are going to be so happy to go back to their own routine and not be sort of stuck here, especially in a backyard. They have a backyard, but I think I told you my my grandpa, my dad, Freudian slip there. uh, My dad, he's turned into an old curmudgeon and he doesn't allow the dogs to run around on the turf that he had installed Mm. in his backyard because he's afraid that they're going to ruin it. So they have this great backyard and they can't even run around or anything. So That's crazy. Yeah. He's acting more and more like my grandpa every day. (laughs) What about you? It's been good. It's been a good week. I don't want to say it's been the most productive week. I feel like I'm still kind of like getting my mojo back. I feel like things are headed in the right direction. I know we both have had our veils checked recently, which was exciting. And just to kind of feel like things are moving. I I mean, I read an article. I think it might have been either today or yesterday. An article came out about how slow Hollywood is coming back from the strike and everything. And I was like, well, what did you assume was going to happen? That was just going to pop back in. 
again. <laughs> but yeah, so I feel like things are starting to move, which is exciting. But it's been a pretty busy week outside of that. That's good. I think that's the hardest part is not only building momentum, but trying not to lose steam in that process. Because I think the culture uh, is such instant gratification. And so when you spend so much time, and I feel like this applies to all parts of the industry or people pursuing, you know, all the different professions that there's no tangible result. Mm -hmm. Unless you get a job, I can send out 300 emails. And until somebody hires me, there's no tangible result or gratification of that. So for me personally, like I began to lose steam of like, am I spending my energy in the right place? Am I focusing, Mm -hmm. you know, all of this time on the right thing. And that I think is the hardest part for me of like trying to figure out what that balance is and where I should spend my time. Yeah. Well, I remembered what you had said when you, I think it was on the very first episode of the season where you said you had sent like 32 emails out and only gotten three responses. And I was like, I don't want that to happen. But I like finally buckled down last Friday and was like, I'm going to sit here. I went through my calendar from last year, which was a bit crazy to look back on a year and wrote down every producer, every director, anybody I met with who I was intro to or anything and reached out to all of them. And almost I will say almost every single one of them wrote me back. So oh, that's great. That's exciting. I was kind of expecting the just, you know, oh no, only three responses. So I think I was like hesitant to do it. Oh God, what yeah. if they, even today I just got a response back from one of the emails and oh, I totally remember you. And I met her last February. So it's been yeah. almost a year. And she's like, well, we have one show that's already coming back that has a CD attached, but we have three shows that are, we're developing and should go this summer and we'll definitely put your name into contention. So I think I kind of took a little bit of what happened to you and translated it into my world of I'm going to go with people I know Yeah, because I already had done the big mass email when I first moved here last year and I didn't get a ton of responses. And I think the more people can intro to you to other people. Yeah. I think it's also super specific to the casting executive game. I think they're not mutually exclusive when it comes to producers, especially if you you've met them and you've sat down with them. Any producer that I have a relationship with that I've emailed, they have responded. But the executives, I feel like it's the sort of same gatekeepery kind of vibe so that you can, mm-hmm. you, you send it out into the void and you're like, I guess they got it. I guess I'm just not on their list. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, I think it's just a different ballgame between the two positions, you know? Yeah. No, I did. Cause I did, I will say I sent an email to the, a Netflix exec in the States who I knew through somebody just because there's so many Netflix shows coming here that I was yeah. like, hey, I would love to be considered. And it's been crickets. And I yeah. even followed up and it was crickets. So I was like, well, <laughs> this is why we don't <laughs> live in LA anymore, Jen. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been quite, it's been, it's just been, a, it's been an interesting like kickoff, but I do feel like I was saying, I can feel the shift starting to happen. I feel like things are getting a little bit better. At least, you know, it may not be happening as quickly as we want. Cause I know both of us probably would have loved to just come back and been like, are you available? Are you available? Are you like, <laughs> but hopefully this just means bigger and better things are coming our way. It's a numbers game, right? So something's got to land. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's dive in because we've had so many – it's been interesting. I know you had said that we mentioned it in our intro back in the day. But then also I know we both constantly ask our friends and our families and people who listen to the podcast, like, what do you want to hear? And a lot of my friends have always said, we still don't really get what casting directors do. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to address that today. 
Yeah. It was funny. I was talking to my sister about this because, you know, since it comes up so often for me, you know, it's our day to day. So in my perspective, I was like, it's mundane probably in some capacity, but it is intricate. And so people should know about it. But she was also saying, she was like, yeah, it's a lot less glamorous than I thought it would be. I was like, that's accurate. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It really is. That's the funny thing is I think we maybe got into an episode early, early on where we were like, oh, we'll kind of explain it. But then we kind of diverted into more exciting like stories and stuff because there are some aspects of our job that are so exciting. But at the end of the day, I do think it would be fun and kind of helpful. We'll make it as fun as possible as we can. <laughs> but I think that's the thing. Obviously, it's mundane for us because we do it every day. It's it's part of mm-hmm. what we do. It's ingrained in us. But for, I think, outsiders, it's probably very interesting of just how the process breakdowns and all the different people that we have to deal with. So I think it's still exciting, but it's, it's just our day to day. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's start like from the beginning. So pretty much we get hired on. We're not going to go through indies and trying to attach people. I feel like we've talked about that quite a bit. So once we are actively casting a film or a TV show, we get the script and it happens two different ways between the States and the UK. In the States, we send it to breakdown services. They write us a breakdown. They have writers on staff that write the breakdown for us. They send it back to casting directors for approval, which then we go through. We make our all of our judgments. And then we also, I don't know, it depends on the, the creative team involved, but sometimes I have producers and directors who want to approve it and or look at it and make their adjustments. Sometimes they're like, nah, you do you. Here, when you send the breakdown out, you write. It's all, it's not like a system. It's you Spotlight is you actually write in on our casting director side, you write in the role name like Jessica, ages 33 to 35, Caucasian, red hair. casting director you know like you have to write it all in which is really hard for me because I'm a horrible writer and they don't provide that service over here yeah well just to show the difference because I very rarely send the script to breakdowns to write the briefs like I will take a stab at it so I think every office works a little bit differently in that space so I will either take a stab at it or my writer will will put it together depending on how involved they are in the evolution of the project if they're looking for something specific but I think I think it's it's case by case but also let's talk I think specifically about television because it's the most intricate and Mm -hmm. there's most people involved in that process so just to sort of piggyback on that it depends on the office if they will choose to write it themselves because I only did it through Breakdown Express if I was in a pinch for time and I needed everything done very quickly wow I've never I've never had a creative I've never had anyone want to write their own no really fascinating but yeah so I guess that that is a case by case office we're going to learn a lot from each other in this episode of what we do and what we do. Yes, yes. So then whether you write it or not, you send it off and or here it gets submit, you know, you kind of spotlight has the system where you type in role by role, you kind of go through and type it out. And then at the end, you get your kind of like spit out of your breakdown and you can edit it and stuff. But so then this is also a difference between the UK and US. Once it's approved and ready to go out, it gets sent to breakdown, spotlight, casting networks, one of the many forums. And in the States, mainly with using Breakdown service or Breakdown Express, and then I believe Casting Networks as well, like correct me if I'm wrong, it automatically gets sent to all the agencies yeah. um, in the desired area. Yeah. So you pretty much tell them, do you want LA, New York? Because I've released Breakdowns in the Southeast. I've done Chicago. I've done Vancouver. So you can kind of pinpoint 
certain places if you if you want to be looking for something, but we tend to just release LA, New York, and the States. Here with Spotlight, casting directors have the option to create lists on their side of Spotlight. So I can go through and just pick the top five agencies that like the independents, the Curtis Browns, the United to if I'm just looking for a lead and I know I'm gonna need some kind of name value or somebody of of note. So I can create certain lists of agencies that the breakdown will only go out to if I want to. And then both worlds have the option to either release it to just agents and or to also release to unrepped talent, which we get asked a lot, at least I do. Mm -hmm. And no, we don't usually send it out to them. <laughs> like usually I don't click that box yeah. to do unrepped talent. I think usually it's more common when you're doing a, an expansive search or looking for something that is an underrepresented community. So then, then we would send it out to the actor's access, the, you know, sort of unrepresented mm -hmm. talents, probably put it on a virtual Instagram flyer or something like that. But also just to sort of take a step back in that process for television, especially before we release the breakdown, I don't know if you've had this experience for me, it's been super common that we will have a concept call with the creatives of the show. So it ha typically, we definitely have it before we cast a pilot, we will definitely, ha we will typically have it before we start casting every episode, where we'll get on a call with the director of the episode, the writer of the episode, the showrunner, line producer, and if there's a, another counterpart, if we're shooting in Canada or in the UK, whoever that other casting person is, we'll all be on the same call. And then we have creative concept meeting about who this character is, if there's any relation, like familiar relation to anybody we've already cast, if there is a prototype that they've sort of have in their mind, if they wrote it for somebody specifically. So we, we started to get all of those ideas so we can create that brief of what we're looking for and putting in the characteristics and qualities that we're looking for, especially if it's a very specific search, if we're looking for a trans actor, if we're, you know, so we can get as much information as possible. And then we go to the less fun side of that conversation, which, which tends to be the budgetary side of it, which is how much do we have to spend on this particular actor? Is it coming from LA, New York? Is it coming from Canada? All of those elements. And then we take all of that information and that we include that in the character brief that we release on breakdowns or spotlight or wherever it is. Great explanation. <laughs> that was beautiful. Thank you. Couldn't have said it better myself. Always fun. And then after the breakdown goes out, this is where the fun begins for us because then it becomes a free-for-all, especially in LA where it just tends to go out to everyone. It's always hilarious to me because we put the breakdown out and then with, you always have the like three agencies that submit their entire list within 10 minutes, yeah. not even looking at it. So anyway – Technically, what's supposed to happen is agents are supposed to look at it and only submit the people who are right for it. Yeah. That seems to be a trend that is going by the wayside a lot these days where people just kind of throw spaghetti at a wall and are just like, here, look at all my people. And I always love it when you're like, it's a male role and you get 20 females from the same agency and you're like, oh, I don't think you read this. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, I think, the, the craft of being a rep that feels like it's dying a little bit is that there is no curation in their submissions. And I think for us, that is what allows us to trust those reps of like, oh, they've got good taste or they're they're doing their job by reading the breakdown and submitting the people that are only right. And when you see when it's like spaghetti like that, you're not going to trust anything they send over. Mm -hmm. So how do they build relationships if they're not actually curating what they're sending over, you know? Yeah, very true. 
Very true. And then, so usually also what happens at this point in the stage of it is some agents will also then follow up with pitches, especially if it's like something really exciting or they really think, and again, some tend to abuse it, uh, this this <laughs> ability no. to email or call. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so usually the good agents will follow up with like their few favorite that are like, hey, just want to spotlight these two that I submitted really do think they'll be great. Can they tape? Can they come in? That kind of thing. And then yeah, so then our side of it, after we get the breakdown, I usually, again, depending on turnaround, you never know, especially in TV, it tends to go a bit quicker. Let it ruminate. You let the breakdown ruminate a little bit and then we go through. We go through the entire breakdown. I would also just to say like simultaneously while we're awaiting submissions, we're creating our own lists of actors that we're already familiar with that we think that could be right for the role. So while we're we're doing those things simultaneously and waiting for submissions to come in, we also send out avail checks for the actors that we already know, and which is my favorite thing is when an agent will then send their pitches, which is all of my avail checks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, cool. That's, I'm so glad you had that idea. But yeah, so we're, cause I know there's a lot of people have that, a lot of actors specifically have that concern of like, oh, am I auditioning when there's already an offer out? Or like, what is the process there? And sometimes there is that process where there is an offer out and you're auditioning because we don't have enough time to do those things independently. But most mm-hmm. of the time when we're going through that process, it's happening simultaneously. And I will say the only few, I, I try really hard. It's kind of a moral boundary for me that I try not to read if there's an offer out yeah. uh, just unless it is a time constraint but I always make it clear on the you know either to the agent or on the breakdown that there is an offer out it's up to them whether they want to or not however I don't think I've ever like really read too many people when an offer was out when it's engaging yeah like most oh, yeah. people think that I get a lot of flack from actors in in a very roundabout way of, well casting directors always like do it as a backup but I'm like no no usually the only reason we ever read when there's an offer out is most likely we don't think it might go through. There's a really good feeling in our gut that this is either a long shot and or there's a lot of scheduling conflicts that could easily fall apart or if it's something that, again, especially speaking of TV, you have studio network execs being like, well, we want to offer to this person. And you're like, but this is a waste of time. Like, <laughs> You have to go through that exercise. Yeah. So we do all that. That was a great, great point. Do all that. Curate our lists. We go through all the breakdowns. There is I, I'm trying to remember if it is on Spotlight or not. I'm pretty sure there is a, a button or some way to like sort on our side of it on Spotlight, which actors, which agencies you can kind of like filter if you want. Mm-hmm. Um, I know on Breakdown Express, you can filter by agency. And I've had it before where I'll go through the breakdown and I'll be all done with it and there's thousands of submissions. And then my this agent will be like, what about this guy? And I'm like, shoot. So then I can go and find his agency submission and click on the guy yeah. to tape or whatnot. So we go through and I think it's, again, another big misunderstanding that we don't look at all the submissions. But I also think it's a difference of opinion where us going through submissions is us looking. And yes, we might not click on every single person and watch every reel, look at every headshot because we already kind of know, either we know the people already and we can move on or we already know there is a classist system with the agencies where if you have certain agencies who only rep co-stars and you're reading for a lead, you're not going to bring in their people. It's just... It's to me, it's kind of easy to kind of filter 
through that. So you kind of go through all the submissions, pick who you like. I don't and I want to hear your process, but I go through and I usually pick like the people I'm going to read. And in breakdown, there's like a numbering system that means nothing whatsoever. It's just how to mark people. Mm -hmm. So like there's a one through six, I think. So I remember we always used to do like twos were our reads and threes were our maybes and fours were, I don't know, maybe maybes and then ones were off or onlys or something like that. But yeah, and it's like everyone has a different system. Here on Spotlight, there's three buttons. Yes, no, maybe. Mm -hmm. So you either go through your yes or your no's. (laughs) Well, in your maybes. And then anybody who's not marked just stays unmarked. It's kind of interesting. There's not the same features as we have in the States. Yeah, so we go through and we curate who we want to bring in to either read in person, self-tape, whatever the situation is. And do you want to add anything to that? I mean, just to – yeah, I think that that's the sort of safe thing of like we all have a different process and I'm I'm sort of of the same boat where I'll go through every submission first of like the people I'm familiar with and pluck those people out and then like literally in the same breath after I'm done with that I'll go through the process and start like watching reels for people I'm less familiar with so it's sort of the same thing but it just looks a little bit different and the same thing with the marking I feel like mine my number ones were offer onlys number twos were I mean before it was twos were to read like to come in and then yeah it was a very random we all had numbers assigned of like oh like threes were people we were on the fence of and then six was a self-tape request oh. it was uh i mean this was pre-covid obviously but things have changed a little bit in terms of my numbering mm-hmm. system but the principle is the same yes and i will say it was fun back when i had an assistant for quite a few years who was a really good friend of mine who was learning the casting process so when you could like really learn we would each have our own numbers because I would I would go through I would pull and I'd make them fours and then she would go through and I was like oh just make them sixes and let me just double check because we all have an idea and I was like well I can't bring in especially as an assistant sometimes when they're newer they tend to pull a lot (laughs) and I'm like I don't have time for your 50 choices so let me like you pick your 50 out of the thousands and then I'll go through and pick some of your people out as well Yeah, it's different everywhere, but that's how that goes. And then after that, we send out appointments, or usually our assistants do, where it just goes break down. You can send it out directly through their system, and it'll go to, you know, have all their self-tape instructions. If you're doing in-persons, it'll have the address, the sides code, all the – if there's an accent required, if there's any particulars about what would be best to prepare uh, for somebody coming to this. I also just want to add, like, because you talk about sides code. So sides, for those who don't know, are the scenes that the actors audition with. And basically, we go through our own process of trying to curate that material. Sometimes our creatives will send exactly what they want. But more times than not, we have to pull the scenes that, I mean, at least my rule of thumb is like two at most contrasting scenes that show you different emotions for the character if they have them. And then you would essentially send it to your showrunner and your writers for approval. And then sometimes you'll have to send it to the studio to get approved so because it makes sure it doesn't give anything away so sometimes it can get really intricate I mean I've had so many projects that I've worked on that they don't even want to release the character names so then you have to go through and redact all of the character names and then create new character names and then create like a key for all of your character names and who it you know it's like it gets very uh, like the minutia of it and like keeping the confidentiality depending on the kind of project you're working on gets very stressful mm-hmm. and then you sort of go have like an offshoot into, you know, when we were working on The Force Awakens or basically anything Bad Robot, not only was that a part of it, but it was also signing NDAs and having sides that are watermarked on red pages and like keeping track of those pages. And it can get so, if you start thinking about 
like all of the Marvel projects, all of the Bad Robot projects, anybody that is known for confidentiality, that casting team is dealing with so many elements that are not part of the creative process of just security. Be kinder to them because they are losing their fucking minds. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. To be fair, I don't think I've ever had to do any of that. You've worked on much bigger things than me. All mine are very straightforward. (laughs) You're very lucky. (laughs) To use regular character names. And I think one time, and I will say we've done this in the past where if like it's a pilot or it's a character that's being changed or something like that, I'll always go to the writer and be like, hey, can you write me some more scenes? Because this guy says he's going to be a series regular, but he literally has two lines in the pilot, you know, and we need more. And so we've gotten some really good scenes that way as well, which is always fun. But no, I've never had that level of secrecy and double switching names. And thankfully, God, that seems I can barely handle the stress of everything else. (laughs) I just remember for Force Awakens, like, so our associate at the time, Rachel Dill, poor girl, we had a Google file, Google Drive, like spreadsheet that she had to maintain because we weren't actually allowed to send anything to the agents and managers directly. So before we can send sides, we had to send everything. We would have to get all of the actors' email addresses, then put it into the grid, do the whole NDA thing in advance. And it was the most stressful thing I've ever experienced. I have done that before where I've had an NDA and then I can only send it to the clients and agents get so pissed off. It's hilarious. They're like, just send it to me. And I'm like, I can't. What do you want? from me. Get your client to send it to you then. I mean, it's like that big of a deal. I don't want the – and especially as an associate or an assistant, you're like, this could all come crashing down on me. So anyway, yeah. So all this goes out for our appointments. We put all those out. Again, it kind of varies how many people you're going to see for each role, depending how big, all these kind of things. I think every role is different. But once we have either in-person auditions and our self-tapes come in, then we sit there and we watch them all. We go through and we – I still like good old-fashioned like note-taking in a notebook. Like I like writing it down. It's partly – it's a memory tool for me as well. So that I, if I'm writing down notes rather than doing – like I had an assistant once who did it all on the computer and I was like this is and then but she couldn't remember anything after and I was just like well that's probably why because you're just typing things but yeah so I take my notes I have very weird notes too and this is and I will say this working for every casting director boss I ever worked for in my entire career all their notes are different so I always love when actors are like I try to look at their notebook to see if I did well or I was like what do you think they're doing like good in big capital letters across the like sheet it's all shorthand that was always mine like everything is abbreviated because yeah. also I don't want anybody to know what it says. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it was funny. What I had this one boss who had horrible handwriting and she would like hand me her session sheet afterwards. And I'm like, what does this mean? I don't even know. So then I was, so then we'd have to sit there and she'd be like, did I like him? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was- <laughs> You're like, I liked him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then I find, I know when um, we were on Mike's podcast last summer, I think he asked both of us how many people we send to producers because that seems to be like a very hotly contested number, which I find it to be very varying. Like it always depends on the batch. Like if you're good, I'm going to send you whether I have five people or 10 people. But also I try to be very conscientious of who I'm letting tape and come in to read because I don't want to waste anybody's time, effort, money in 
preparing all this stuff or driving to the office or things like that. So the people we're already bringing in are good to the point where then I usually send about probably five to 10 per day, maybe per role, depending on kind of the day. And again, I've been in session for eight hours. So I'll send 15 people that day because I've been in session all day. I think it also varies depending on where you are in the process because we're, when you're in the beginning of the casting process, I think you're trying to figure out, at least this is my experience, I'm trying to figure out the taste of the showrunner or the producer or whoever it is. Like I have a, I have a good enough sense, but usually you start to notice the things that they respond to after you, you know, you do a couple of rounds. And so some of them, nobody's bad, but you're start, you're trying to develop a sense of what they're looking for through it. So some of mm-hmm. it is for contrast. Like, is this more their taste or is this? And then you start to hone in on it as you get further down the process. And sometimes you end up going back to somebody who's read in the beginning. It's all relative, I think. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. There's my favorite story is on A Million Little Things, there was one role where we didn't read one actor for it because the guy who they offered it to the very first offer took it. (laughs) And then one of the other roles, we read 200 people for it. So because we couldn't find it. So really, it all depends. And so we go through, pick who we like. We send it to our creative team. They watch it, hopefully quickly. (laughs) especially in TV. Sometimes it doesn't. And then there's either two things that happen after this. Either – and I feel like in TV, especially episodic, when you're kind of in the the flow of everything, you kind of just get your choice and then you move forward. Maybe more so with like series regulars, films kind of things. They'll put their favorites back to us and say, well, we really like these three. Let's do callbacks. So we kind of get our group together and usually it happens either – it's not like we do callbacks after every single session. It's more either hopefully with time permitting you get to bring in a group of your top 10 or however many your, your team chooses. And then you do callbacks with either the director, the producer, showrunner, whomever needs to be there in the room with the casting director and usually an associate. And then you get to do the whole live and in person in your face <laughs> audition. <laughs> That was probably a horrible way to say it, but I was like, what is in your face? I don't It's great live callback, yeah, basically. Yes, um, yes. And then once you get through that process, I think, you know, once we have a handle on who we're very excited about, we'll usually take two to three people to test. And testing is a whole other process. I mean, and if you're not in the industry, like this will give you a deep appreciation for the actors that end up on the screen and all the actors who go through the process with them. The testing process varies from network television to cable and streaming. Used to be, I haven't done basically the last test that I did for for network television was during COVID. That obviously looked different than the normal process. But the normal process is we take those three, two or three people that we're ready to test and they have to do a studio test live. And they would come into the room at probably on one of the major lots, Warner Brothers, you know, wherever it is. And before they would walk into the room, they would have to sign their contracts. So they would know before they walked in to test how much money is on the line essentially like how many years usually it's a seven-year contract so they that's like a first of all talk about added pressure to whatever is there but they would sign that contract they would walk into a room and I don't know every studio is a little bit different but I remember Warner Brothers has theater seating with a stage and everything and the, and they had lighting that uh, was different it was programmed for either comedy or drama and then you would have 10 to 13 executives sitting in the room with you watching and waiting for you to perform and they would record that they would shoot that whole 
test. And then if they decided that, okay, this person's a strong contender, we're going to, they're going to move on to network. Then they would take that network or that tape that they shot and send it to the network. And network has 10 to 13 executives that have to agree that you are the creative choice. And I think that is such a important thing for actors to know specifically, because they put so much pressure on themselves to if they get the job or don't get the job. And truly, but whether you're this is like specific for a series regular, but the process for episodic TV is not so drastically different. It's just done behind the scenes. And you don't know that it's happening. You don't you don't sign the contract, but we still have to go through the same approval process. So by the time you book a job, there are about 30 people, especially with network television, that have to agree that you are the right person to be this character. So I hope that actors will take away and know that they need to be a little bit kinder to themselves because they can't control those 30 people's opinion. Like you might look like an ex-boyfriend or an ex-girlfriend or whatever it is that could discount you. It's such a numbers game. Yes, do you have to have the talent? Absolutely. But there are so many other factors involved in the process. Yes. And the people who are watching the tapes at networks and studio levels aren't usually the most in touch with talent. Because <laughs> like, we usually, that's what I remember when I was doing my last pilot, we just had to make sure our top two or three contenders were good. Because there's been so many times where we walk out of the test thinking, oh, so-and-so's got this in the bag. This is going to happen. And then some person in some office that I don't even know who it is because they don't even tell us who they all send it to, who all has to approve, somebody says no. And then you're back to square one or they want this other person for some really random reason that makes no sense to any creative who's actually doing the show. It's just some person who gets paid a large salary to sit in an office (laughs) and make choices. So I know. I mean, they may be great at development. That might be their thing. But in terms of, you know, the casting process, it's such a it's such a unique touch to be able to curate Mm -hmm. that. And I don't know about your experiences, but I've had so many experiences that just didn't make sense to me. I don't know if you've had this sort of experience, but I had, when I was working on Tell Me Your Secrets, which at the time was a Turner show, we had a character that was, she was literally going to appear in the final episode. And it was a limited series. It was launched as a limited series, but her character had a presence through the whole season because she gets abducted before the show starts. And then they're trying to find her the whole time, essentially. But you only actually see her in the last episode. And so we had auditioned so many girls for this role. And there was an actress that we saw that she was fresh out of Juilliard and she had three short films under her belt and she had produced and wrote one of the short films essentially. And it was good quality material and she was great. So she came in and she read and then we sent it up the flagpole because we everybody creatively loved her. They're like, she's, she's ethereal and angelic and she's got this really cool quality because the character had a twist to it, right? And so we sent it up to Turner all the way up and they said no. They said that she doesn't have enough experience and that she's too green, essentially. And we didn't understand what was going on, right? And we learned later Mm -hmm. that it was one of the casting executives that got in the way. Well, like the consultants, I should say. But they were trying to push somebody on us that was more network television Mm -hmm. vibes, right? And so the whole team was so passionate about this actor that they basically said, what do we have to do? 
to get this through. And the team up at Turner basically told us if there's a chance that this show would go towards a season two, you know, if it had great success for the first season, we would keep this particular character for season two. So we need to see that she can handle all of the elements that would potentially happen in season two. Oh, Lord. Right? Okay. So this happens. So we go <laughs> we go back to our writers and we say, please write scenes that show us X, Y, and Z. So they wrote scenes for this character that well, you will never see in season one. And yeah. we had her come back. But what I didn't know is she was actually a New York-based actor. She just happened to be in LA at the time. And so I had called Tiffany Little Canfield at Bernie Telsey's office and I asked her, you know, we have an actress that's in New York. She's basically the choice and we need to make sure that she is led in the right direction, basically. We don't want it to just be a self-tape. Mm-hmm. Would you guys read with her? And Tiffany had one of her casting directors in New York spend 45 minutes with her in the room, taped her in New York, and that's what we sent back to Turner and she booked the role. Wow. But like that's cool. Yeah. Like that's the stuff that we have to go through when when we're all so passionate about an actor, we have to jump through just as many hoops as the actor does. It's hard. I mean, I be- I, I get it. I've been on both sides where I've either fought for people and or it's a losing battle sometimes. Yeah. I again I had a show that I won't go into that much detail, but literally I our entire creative team, same kind of thing, wanted somebody and they just kept saying no to the point where our, one of our executive producers was like, guys, we just need to find somebody else. We're not going with their choice yeah. because the studio kept forcing an actor on everybody that nobody wanted. Yeah. Like we had read her three times and they still were like, our creative side was like, it's not right. So then we're like, okay, we'll just go back to the drawing bar. And so we started our entire process over because the studio would not let go of this one idea they had in their head and even open their minds to like the five actresses we had already sent them. It's unfortunate. It tends to happen a lot more, I think, in TV than film. Oh, yeah. And I just want to be very clear. This whole testing process and everything like that is very series regular centric. <laughs> yes. Um, we usually don't go through testing for guest stars or things like that. Maybe recurring every now and again, but not in the big sense. Not this. Not the one exception to the thing. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, the testing, absolutely not. But we still have to go through the approval process, which is the approval process. Yes, but usually what happens with that? Just getting back into the minutia of it all. What happens is we end up taking the tape from your audition and or callback. And that is what ends up getting sent around to all these network execs and studio execs for approval. You don't usually have to come back in or go through all these things. And with those cases, you don't have to sign your contract before. Everything will get done approved and then then you'll get your offer. And so then that moves into our next la- and almost last final step. Wait, wait, wait. One, one differentiation that I want to make is that is for network television primarily. Cable and streaming, they are way more trusting, I think, of their creatives. They, are, they don't need to be involved as much, at least in my experience. My cable experience was just as hands-on. Was it Turner? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's specific to Turner, but I've done FX. I've done I've done a number of them that have been even just like I had done. I had run a session for Avi Kaufman out of LA for High Fidelity, and they were testing actors opposite Zoe Do- uh, Zoe Deutsch, Zoe Kravitz, and that process was essentially a work session that was recorded. It was still technically a test, like the actors still did their you know contracts and everything, but it was a work session with the director of the pilot episode, and then they just took it, there were no 
studio executives in the room. So you typically won't have the live testing aspect of it. My experience was more like work sessions with the actual creatives and filmmakers, the director of the episode and that. And then that tape gets shuttled up the flagpole, but it's less scary because you don't know what's happening as an actor. So once you're approved, if you're that one lucky one who makes it through all that junk, uh... And you're still standing and available by that point. Then we go through the awesome, minus the series and regular, because your deal will already be negotiated and everything prior to this. But anyone else usually then go into the offer negotiation part. I do think it's gotten a bit muddy in terms of sometimes we can say ahead of time, like, here's what we have in our budget. Please don't ask for more. If you're not willing to work for scale, that's all we have, especially on indie film. But a lot of times in TV and stuff, that's when you'll make the offer, put in flight a hotel per diem if you get a rental car your credits all that all the like minutia of it all and I think what is really fascinating that some people don't understand is 90% of the time we're the ones doing the deal and we complained about this with Melanie like we are not lawyers and yet we are doing these deals because I've seen guest stars get quite intricate and or especially if you're trying to carve out time for somebody to either go out and do something and or you're taking them away from a different project and there are so many times we are asked to create pretty much the con we don't actually physically write the contracts thankfully but we are pretty much asked to solidify all the deal points and do all the negotiation for the most part on our end unless it gets too big or you know things like that and you can bring in BA but I've done the majority of my deals I'll say like I said about 90% of the time yeah I think the other thing I as an audience member obviously never realized until I was in the industry that the credits at the end or the beginning of a movie are a negotiation point when you see the final thing and the disdain you have for a particular credit you're like how long (laughs) it took you to get to that point like every little thing even the the name on the billboard that is all mm-hmm. pre-negotiated and I for me as an outsider you just have no clue that that is all part of the the process oh I mean I fake like honestly so much of my early casting career was faking it till I made it <laughs> I was negotiating paid ads I had no idea what I was and I was like yeah you can have paid ads <laughs> no idea what that means. And it took me, I want to say a good five years into casting until I finally felt comfortable with like a lawyer. Can you actually explain to me what paid ads are? And or all the different billing things. And I mean, because it's all tied into each other. And then each negotiation, this is the other really tricky thing is, and where casting can kind of get itself into a bind of when you cast certain roles, because it always depends on what if you get a bigger name somewhere and you've already given away the and or with credit and or the first billing and then you have to ask some movie star to take second billing you know it's like this thing that is just I've actually gotten into actually quite a few arguments with producers about it because they get their knickers in a twist and you're just like why it's free billing costs you nothing and I've never understood that if it's warranted if the actor has enough credits and or cachet of something to either do a shared credit with only two people on it and or a single card, just give it to them. If if you're an indie film and you can't pay them the money, give them the credit. It is free. You don't have to pay for it. And I've always found it fascinating when producers get so up their own butts about it. It's not costing you anything. I don't understand why this is an argument. (laughs) Yeah, I never understand it. But it's it's a sticking point for somebody somewhere always. (laughs) 
So we do that. That's something that I don't think, I don't even think my parents knew that until they listened to me one time when I was at home and working and they heard me do a negotiation and they're like, oh wait, you do all that? And I was like, yeah. They're like, you sound like you know what you're talking about. I was like, well, I try to pretend. No. <laughs> By now, you know, that's for sure. Oh, I know. Now I know. Now I know. So then once the deal's closed and usually it can go back and forth for an hour or for five days, depending kind of what you're doing, then we close the deal, which is always very very exciting. If I ever have an office again, a physical office, I'm going to get a bell to ding or something. <laughs> um, like when they get tips and stuff. And then the last of our job really is we go to the agent, we get all the closing information. So people's names, addresses, phone numbers, emails, the all the actor's details so that we can send it off to production. So wardrobe can get in touch and production can be in touch about flights and stuff. And I will say one of my biggest pet peeves is when agents call me about complaining about flights. I'm like, do I look like a travel? travel agent on top of everything else. <laughs> like call the production office. I don't know. Seriously. I also, I want to sort of distinguish also, obviously this is TV. This is also film. Uh, film, there's so few people involved, much fewer people, which it makes it a little bit easier to have a creative process. But I've had a very unique run in my career where a number of the feature, like the studio features that I've worked on, even in the support level, like assistant associate, they last forever. So Super 8, we were on it for nine months just trying to cast the kids. And that was mm -hmm. my first job. And I was like, oh, is it this long for every job? That's crazy. And you know, we had to push production for that. Star Trek the uh, Into Darkness, we had to push production a couple of times because we couldn't find our con. That was a great example of we had to move out of what we were looking for because we weren't finding it. And then we eventually landed Benedict at Cumberbatch. Just, this is left of what we were looking for. So sometimes you have to reevaluate the process and go back. Then Force Awakens, we were signed on for 10 weeks and we ended up for 11 months, almost an entire year. And that was simply because we were we couldn't find our leads or we didn't, we didn't know if we found them. And then we had to go back to the drawing board. And I think until basically John Boyega was testing, we were seeing actors in Los Angeles until that day, which was not too far before they were actually shooting. So sometimes these processes can be so expansive. They can be in person, virtual, open calls. They vary so much depending on what you're looking for or even short films. I did a short film that we were looking for a Cambodian actress that could speak the language authentically and all of these things. And I had to do like a online search for and go to different cultural centers. And yes, there's a part of our job that is sort of formulaic that we, we sort of do the process every single time. But there's a big part of it that we have to step outside the norms and yeah. look for things that are not represented or not, there's not a huge population that we know of that are, that represents this particular thing that we're looking for? Or what if the people that we know are sort of oversaturated in the market and we need a fresh face? And, you know, so there's a lot of elements to the casting process that are not necessarily depicted in this sort of breakdown of how we do our jobs. Because I think at least the, the most exciting part of our job is the fresh faces and the reinvention right? So we mm -hmm. get to mm -hmm. strike a chord somewhere that's in the least expected way. And it's so funny to me, like I was watching Air the other day, the Michael Jordan story. Oh, I haven't watched it yet. It's it's a great movie, but I have to say every person that had a lead role in that film 
felt so expected to me. I mean, granted, obviously Ben Affleck and Matt Damon produced it. And so they're going to be in it. But like when I was watching it, I was like, oh, it's Jason Bateman. Like it feels expected. For me, it's like trying to find ideas that don't feel specifically conventional that will let you... I mean, we talked about it, I think, maybe a couple episodes ago, where you never get to remove yourself from the actor that's there to be ingrained and, and engaged in the story because you're like, oh, it's like you said, Bradley Cooper playing Leonard Bernstein or, you know, whatever it is. So it's like, I, like, I find that so exciting and I'm sure you do too, but we so rarely have that opportunity. And I, I get that. And I think that passion is definitely a good trait of any casting director that's yeah. worth their salt, to yeah. be fair. And this is where it gets tricky because we want to do this episode where we break down step by step because this is generally, yeah. generally how it's done and it, you can get all the way to the end where then you you find your actor you're in the negotiation and it falls apart and or they get an offer for something better and they walk away and then you go back to step one and you start over but I think some of the magic happens a lot when you're in the room with actors and you get to see the talent you get to work with them you get to give them notes and you get to see something special kind of like click with certain people or on the flip side people who just can't get it you know we always say not every role is meant for everybody and and I've read really talented actors who come in and whether it was an off day or the role just wasn't for them, I still have very big respect for an actor who came in on a movie for me. He came in and I've, I've always been a big fan of his work. He's read for me tons. And he came in and he was just like, yeah, I didn't really connect with this, but it was you. So I was like, oh, I'll come and read for Jen. You know, not a big, big thing off my back. And he was, he was totally wrong for it. Did not give a good read. It did not ding his value in my book at any rate. However, as he was leaving, he's like, can I make a suggestion? He was like, my best friend would actually be perfect for this role. Would you bring him in? And I was like, sure. Cause I, I have a relationship with this guy and I was like, why not give this guy a shot? And while this guy didn't end up actually with the role he made it into the top three wow and his friend so yeah. it's like it's one of those things where that's the stuff that's kind of magic and that's what we love is we love the, the the personal relationships where you get to like get to know actors you get to understand them and they trust you that just like this guy came in and was like oh it's not for me jen but i'll try like <laughs> sure <laughs> i'm not gonna say no to your audition so i will just never forget him i mean that was years ago and i will never forget that actor and we do love those like really cool unique parts we talked about it with claire and charlene and the beef f but episodes last season where they got to go out and find, go to the culture centers, go to like schools, go into the Asian community and find these people, especially when they were looking for the younger generations of the Ali and Steven characters. And that's fun, but that's the exception, not the rule for thinking of, he's just not that into you, but uh, <laughs> another great Love film. That. But yeah. <laughs> it does suck that we don't get to be more creative sometimes, especially I think the network and studio TV space tends to restrict you into who they like, which is why you see the same people leading the same CBS shows, the same NBC shows, the same ABC shows. You know, you just see it regurgitated constantly. And or now with the evolution of streamers, I find people are so unrealistic. I remember somebody came to me once and like wanted some movie star to be in an ABC show, <laughs> like one of our creatives. And I was like, we're at ABC. This is not Apple. <laughs> That's not and I remember talking to the agent because they forced me to call the agent to like check and avail and they were like, yeah, they're not going to do this. And I was like, okay, cool. Can you just say they're not available so I can tell my team that? I was like, great. 
<laughs> or just the truth that it's they're not interested in network. I think that's for me the biggest feedback the last time I did a network pilot was that, oh, we're not considering network television, not considering network television, which is so fascinating because I feel like when we started, everybody wanted network television. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, my very first job in LA 12-ish years ago now mm-hmm. was an ABC pilot. And yeah. the people, one, that we cast in it and who we tested are all stars yeah. right now. And I look back and I'm like, wow, they were just sitting in my waiting room like a normal human. And now <laughs> look at them. They're a big old movie star and like taking yeah. on the world. And yeah, it's cool. And even though not everyone gets the job, it's even cool to, in my opinion, for our jobs is to see that transpire over years yeah. and see actors grow and whether it's our shows or somebody else's, it's awesome to watch them yeah. blossom and turn into these cool, amazing actors. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a fun ride for sure. Also just, I think that's sort of the glamorous part. We don't necessarily get the glitz and glam. I mean, we're lucky if we get invited to our own premieres, but <laughs> it's, it's fun to be part of these people's journey. You know, it's definitely mm-hmm. a, a ride that I thought I'd never be on. It was never even in my purview for sure. And that's why, again, I mean, I hope this gives a little insight into like how much work actually goes into formulating a cast and why when people shout out casting directors at the Emmys, we get really excited. Yeah. We get real excited because somebody actually cares that we put in all this work. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the nuts and bolts yeah. of it for anybody. I mean, I know some casting directors listen and casting assistants and stuff. I do think it's fascinating when you can dissect the minutia. So if you're still sticking around at this point, good for you. Right on. I'm impressed. And we're going to shift gears a little bit now to a special announcement. I think a few episodes ago, we teased a new series that we're going to be launching this month. And now we can finally share what that is. So we are excited to introduce a new series called An Introduction to a Modern Class of Casting Visionaries. The last Wednesday of every month, we will be spotlighting a casting director who we deem to be on the rise whose work deserves all of the accolades and attention. And our goal is to introduce a contingency of casting directors who are not the mainstream names or high volume casting directors to be able to showcase their journeys, their processes, their triumphs and failures and wild stories that span their own careers. Not only will we feature this interview on the podcast, but you'll be able to watch them on our website where you'll also find a professional reference of what it's like to work with this particular CD. We want to introduce a whole new class of casting directors to both new and established filmmakers alike. Within the casting community, there is so much untapped talent who stand ready to innovate, discover, and traverse the globe in search of exciting and new voices that can enrich the success of the art. And we want to help spread the word. We have quite the lineup of casting directors already set and we cannot wait to share their stories with you and we are thrilled to launch the series next week with the one and only Lindsay Weissmuller. You have seen her work on both the big and small screen on the true TV series Adam Ruins Everything, Netflix's series special, films like Searching, Missing, The Persian Version and so many more. Be sure to tune in next week to hear her story. Yay! We're so excited if you can't tell. (laughs) We're really excited. It's going to be fun. You had mentioned we have such a great lineup that it's going to be so much fun to dive in and even expound our knowledge yeah. of one casting directors. We've been able to tap into both American and European casting directors, which is amazing. This is a series 
that has been in development for a while. It's had different iterations. And so we're really excited to share it with our listeners, hopefully not only actors, but filmmakers alike. All right. Well, that is a wrap for us today. Thanks for joining us and cheers. Have a good week. Cheers. Cheers. 